Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. Mark and Sarah talk about songs. Talk about songs. Talk about songs. And when we talk about songs with wind in the title, we often have the same <laughs> guest. Hello, everyone. <laughs> Welcome oh God, to Mark and Sarah Talk About Songs, episode 172. I'm one of your co-hosts, Sarah D. Bunting. I am here, as always, with the fandiferous Mark Blankenship, who's going to tell us who's joining us today and what we're talking about. Mark, hit it. Hi, you've already blown my mind because I also did not make that connection, but here we are. Um, I am so pleased to welcome back to the show the fantastic musician and all-around person, Eli Oberman. Um, Eli, hello. Welcome hello. back. <clears throat> I'm so glad to be back and apparently to be a resident wind consultant. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> yes. So for those of you who have been longtime listeners, you might recall way back in 2016 when Barack Obama was still president. Uh, remember that time? We were so innocent then. Um, for, for episode... 27 we recorded a, a, an episode about the song she's like the wind by patrick swayze slash the sways featuring <laughs> wendy frazier um featuring eli and um uh, who was then representing his band the shondas but now eli you are in another band uh Damn. called low tide and yes. uh, do you want to tell us a little bit about low tide and what low tide might be up to Sure. Um, so this is a, a brand new project for me, and um, it's just me and Courtney Robbins, who um, is also the two of us are in the band The Shondas, which Louisa from The Shondas and I were were on um, Masses together last time. Um, but so it's, it's just uh, Courtney and I... Um, so it's uh, like sort of, I, I don't know, I've been calling it sort of like eerie folk or like spooky folk or something like that. <laughs> um, but it's just... Um, guitar and violin and singing and i'm i play violin and sing and um it's just been a very exciting new adventure project for me it kind of had a phoebe bridgers feel to me mm. i i hope that's a comparison that you I can see enjoy that. yeah <laughs> i enjoy her a lot so yeah <laughs> um one of the things that I find so fascinating about the Low Tide project, Eli, is that the Shundas obviously is a full ahead rock punk uh, explosion. Indeed. Of, and uh, this, the sound of Low Tide is just so wildly different. And I wonder yeah. what drew you into that sound that, that you're making for with this project? Well, I mean, I grew up um, listening to a lot of, uh, like, traditional folk music, and um, and uh, that was sort of, like, part of my, my family, and I came to punk and, and Riot Girl sort of a lot later, and it's, like, a true love of mine, um, but in some ways, I feel like, you know, everything... Uh, Anytime you work collaboratively, like the thing that comes out is is more than e any individual, right? And so, like the sound of the Shondas is the sound of me and Louisa together, right. um, and this is the sound of me without Louisa. <laughs> I guess, <laughs> I guess. Um, yeah, she brings the hope and the and the anthems, um, and I bring this. Uh, <laughs> but um, but yeah, no, it was actually sort of an exceptional. Um, how I started doing it was actually sort of an exceptional moment to me. I was going through a really dark time in my life and really struggling. And um, 
this um the whole album is sort of you could call it like a concept album if if you wanted to it's all in um in the voice of a character that i mm-hmm. invented called the alchemist um mm-hmm. and which so i've i've never written from the perspective of a character before the melodies felt really different to me i'm singing really high in my register which is really different for me um and all these songs really just came pouring out like at a time that i really really needed something like that to focus um to focus on and to sort of have a purpose to keep going and um so it was actually like making this this record was kind of like life life altering for me oh my god that's amazing (laughs) well we are going to in this episode primarily be talking about a song by nina simone called wild is the wind uh because again you're our wind expert before (laughs) we do that i wanted uh listeners to be able to hear a clip from the low tide project so this is a clip from the song whisper by low tide. Sarah, I think that your Phoebe Bridgers uh, reference to me sounds really apt when I think about it in the context of the clip we just heard. I Yeah, I wasn't aware that that was the, like, I knew that you had pulled a clip, but I w- did not know that it would be one that was so <laughs> sort of <laughs> on point with that comparison. And uh, I think it also, um, the, the strings in that clip sort of um, are in conversation with the Nina Simone song, in my opinion. Oh yeah, um, yeah. It's so funny because I I was not the the Nina Simone song that we're going to talk about is is a song that I've loved for a really long time, but it was wasn't one that I was thinking about when I wrote this song. But then when we were talking about what song to talk about, I was like, oh wait, why have I not thought of this before? It's perfect. <laughs> well, yeah. Can you talk a little bit about how you came to settle on this track for us to talk about today? Actually, before we do that, I just want to make sure that we say, um, where can our listeners find the music of Low Tide? Oh, yes. Well, we're in all the places, the the iTunes, the Spotify, the, um, the all of that. But um, the most direct way to, uh, if you want to check it out, and we also have some other like merch to sell there, is, is Bandcamp, which is really good and does well by artists. So I highly um, encourage people to support um, artists through Bandcamp. But So it's um, just bandcamp.com slash lowtide 14, I believe, or you can just search for low tide in the search bar. Perfect. And now, Sarah, sorry to have cut you off there, but what was that question you were asking again? (laughs) (laughs) Uh, We'll fix it at post. Uh, I was asking Eli how, how did you come to settle on this Nina Simone track for us to talk about today? Um, Well, one of the things that I was thinking about a lot, um, when I was writing uh, my album, and I mentioned it a little bit already about how I, how I, for most of it, I'm singing like very high in my register, um, and 
I was thinking a lot about um, the relationship between voice and gender, um, especially for for trans people. Like the way that your voice sounds and the way that your you know voice is received is a is a huge um, and like very sensitive part of like how people read your gender. Um, and I was thinking about. Um, what it means to to have a, a queer voice, whether or mm. not the person is queer, but like just sort of like in the way that you experience a voice if you didn't know who it was who was singing it. Um, and I think I think Nina Simone has an extremely queer voice um, mm. overall, but in this song in particular, just sort of like the timber of it and. Um, and 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 the sort of queerness of the lyrics not in any you know direct sexual way but just in a like things are this is it's like sort of not normal like it's not really a normal love song it's not really a normal way of expressing embodiment it's like very, but and the sound of her voice just really blows me away and occupies this this like very um like interesting gendered space for me is part of why I'm really drawn to it yeah and I um, listened to the original version of this song by Johnny Mathis, which mm-hmm. came out in late fifties in uh, late fifty seven. It was released in conjunction with a movie called Wild as the Wind, and uh, received and an Academy voice. Award nomination. Oh boy! <laughs> yeah, but Johnny Mathis, an actual queer artist uh, who didn't come out until like five years ago, I, but you I know, just found that out right now. Me wow. too. Me too. <laughs> yeah. Johnny Mathis did not. Also, Mark, I knew you were going to bring the history, and I'm so grateful. Well, you know, that's what I try to come up here for, <laughs> to love. Um, but, uh, yeah, Johnny Mathis did not come out of the closet until he was over the age of 70. But wow. you know what? There's never a wrong time. Yeah. There is never a wrong time. But he sings this in a higher key than Nina Simone. That's fascinating. I just think that not that's, like. surprising. Yeah. And you, your your point is so well made there, I think. And uh, um, also, I do want to point out that Wild is the Wind did not win the Oscar that year for Best Song. That went to a song that I don't think any of us remember called The Joker is Wild. What? And um, that seems wrong. Yeah, that seems wrong <laughs> yeah. now. Mm-hmm. Uh, of, of all the nominees that year, only one is a classic, and it's not that one. Anyway... <laughs> I think without further ado, this is probably a good time to hear not the Johnny Mathis version, but the yes. uh, Nina Simone version. And this is a studio version, not the lengthy al- uh, live version that uh, some of you might have heard. But here is a clip from the studio version of Nina Simone's Wild is the Wind. God, that voice. Oh, it gives me chills. It was literally the first note I took was, quote, oh my God, that voice. And then <laughs> uh-huh. I started making a list 
of my uh, fellow lady baritones uh, who <laughs> made me feel seen and sung to personally. And uh, this song, absolutely. Mm. Uh, it was both thrilling and like my uh, high school English teacher, when we were talking about the great Gatsby used to say steeped in rue, steeped in rue. Mm. And uh, I wrote that down too, because it just had this like dark blue Sunday afternoon feeling to it. I mean, I just was knocked out by listening to this and Mark and I often talk about songs that um, they, they're like three and a half minutes and it, we're like checking the time. They were like, oh my mm-hmm. God, like, hey, train, spe- <laughs> go faster. <laughs> um, uh-huh. So it's very rare that, like this, uh, the studio version is three and a half minutes, I guess. And it felt like two minutes, like the story just sort of like whooshed by and I had to listen to it several times and I I couldn't figure out I couldn't figure out how she did that like narratively as an as an artist like how did she like speed up this story within this very slow song tempo wise it's, so, it's incredible and even the 7 minute version I'm like how did you keep my attention for that long yeah it's shocking it, it's shocking and because what, what's true of the live version, especially, is that it is not a busy live performance. There's a lot of space and a lot of air in that performance, and I never feel like it's empty. You know, I know she, it's she doesn't she doesn't need much to completely fill the entirety of the space and to completely grasp my attention. And it really, for me, speaks to what a gift she has as a performer because. She really can do almost nothing. She can basically stand still yep. and make me want to never stop watching her yep. or listening. You know what I'm trying to say? Well, I had a- yeah, absolutely. And and the piano, like especially in the beginning, the relationship between the piano and the voice, like it's really just these very sparse piano notes. It does get busier at a certain point, but it really is these very sparse notes that are actually quite dissonant with the vocal line. Mm. And it's oh, it's just yeah. I wanted like, to talk about that actually because my my note on it initially when the piano sort of um like elbows its way into Mm -hmm. the circle of light my note said piano you need to calm down (laughs) but then as i was listening i felt like maybe this was and this is just the studio version that i'm talking about maybe this was like necessary in order to give us a little bit of a not a emotional break but it's like without the piano kind of skittering around, it it might be just like too much. Like that something needed to cut. Yeah. Psychologically needed to like cut the the dark blueness of it. I don't mm. know if either of you experienced that. That sort of like the piano seemed invasive at first, but it was actually like we needed a little you something know, else. It speaks so much to my experience of the song that now, of course, I realize that you're right. But I would have told you that that didn't happen. That that, that it was <laughs> never. I, my memory of this song is is very much about like floating through outer space, listening to the sound being transmitted from like a satellite. Like it, it's, I feel like this song for me is so emotionally about vastness that you're right. Of course, yeah. the piano comes in, but I had forgotten that it did. It, yeah. 
I th- it's so I- funny. I mean, I think that her voice is so captivating that even with something that sort of odd or busy like happening underneath it, which it's not all the time, but there is sort of a, an extended moment where it does that. It's like it can't overshadow it mm, um, mm-hmm. because her voice is so powerful. And and also, like I feel like in a form meets content way, there's sort of like a little bit of a chaos to the when the piano gets busier, and it's like yeah. the wind sort of swirling around, and it's a little unpredictable. And I sort of like that feeling. Yeah, yeah. I I mean, I think it. It, it all works like the the build is perfect because for whatever reason like this is sort of um the aural definition of longing mm. this song but i think if it's just if it's just her voice telling you this story you you would have to like turn away from it and take a breath and the piano lets you do that and gives your ear something else to think about so that you're not mm sort of pulled into the vastness with her. I'm probably overthinking this. I actually think that what, but I think what you're getting at is something that's true for me about her all the time. I, is that her voice conveys such powerful emotion that you actually do need something in a song to give you a little place to hide. Yes. Sometimes. That's exactly mm. what I mean. Cause Nina Simone is never coming at you in a light way she's no. never like this no is skipping. my fun <laughs> and it's because you know like obviously nina simone i mean i i know this mostly because of that documentary that came I out a few years say. ago but her life was not filled with a lot of uh superficial light-hearted moments no and she is an artist who's doesn't I, it, it was my impression from watching that that she didn't have time to fuck around with sunshine rainbows and lollipops mm-hmm. she needed to tell you the truth immediately and never let up and i'm just glad that sometimes in the songs there are places where you can be like okay (laughs) one quick second over here well and i have okay here's i have many things to to say about this song but here's a central question that i really wanted to put to both of you about it oh yes that i feel like is connected to that mark what you just said about how intense she is and um sarah you brought up longing I started to realize I was I because I was like reading the lyrics, which are so beautiful and so poetic and lyrical. Um, you know, let the wind blow through your heart for wild is the wind. Like it's just so gorgeous. I I was like, I can't actually find a place lyrically where it dictates that the song needs to be actually this sad. Hmm. Like, why <laughs> yeah. is it so sad? <laughs> Like, obviously there's longing, like, you know, fly, like, let me fly away with you and like, say, love me, say you do. But also like, you know, it's like when you kiss me, like they're together, like this person is kissing her and is caressing her and is all this, like, that's a really good point. Like, how come this isn't, (laughs) where's like the bubble gum or like the skiffle version of this? Like, why, why are we in this geographical you know <laughs> midnight of the soul that's a really yeah. good point because the lyric yeah i'm just i just looked up the lyrics and you're right it says you touch me i hear the sound of mandolins you kiss right, me with your kiss good. my life begins yeah like that's good it's not Is it the you sound of me. a mandolin breaking like why are why <laughs> yeah, are not, we in this play i mean because it's, it's nina simone is why right it's right. not you touch me i hear the sound of a tuba <laughs> <laughs> Or, you know, or like you touch me and then go away. Right. You know, 
I, th- I maybe I, I one time read an interview with Patty Griffin, mm-hmm. who was told who said that she got fired from a job singing radio jingles because no matter what she did, she made everything sound sad. <laughs> oh my god! <laughs> yeah, perfect. I could totally I see it. that. Yep, yep. Like Patty Griffin is only capable of making things sound sad, and I wonder if it's just that Nina Simone's vocal instrument was just built to make us feel a certain ache. Yeah. Well, there's a certain tempo as well that I think she is, her instrument is perfectly put to use at this tempo, but uh, something peppier and poppier is not going to, like, if you don't draw out those notes and draw out those uh, thoughts, um, then she just has a, she just had like her voice is still interesting and compelling, but if she's you know if she's in a more like top down convertible top down <laughs> summer day space, it's not as effect. It's not a good use of her tools. Of her I guess. Yeah. I guess I, I'm also you know in trying to answer my own question and thinking about it more. I um <clears throat> I think um you know, and this is like, just like as your resident depressive over here, but (laughs) I do, I do think that there's something about like when you're living, um, when you're living it for like from any number of like singular or intersecting marginalized identities, like even if you have love, there's something like tragic about it, Mm -hmm. you know, like, um, you know, whether it's coming from a place of queerness or coming from a place of blackness, like Nina Simone. And it's like, even like the world is so horrible and is so set up to not allow you to have happiness and love that even if you find it, there's still something tragic about it. Yeah. Yeah. We, we talk a lot about the, how songs um, describe uh, the world of two that that mm. is a relationship not necessarily romantic but usually in the right. context of pop music that's what you're talking about yeah and uh either the world of two has been breached or one of you chose to leave or welcome to this new world of two that is the two of us and there is definitely that sense that she is describing that that world of two but it's it's not the place of safety for her that you'd hope well, so, and that now takes yeah. me back to the lyrics because there is the the skiffle version, like you said, where we're feeling wild as the wind and we're exhilarated by that. But then there's also the concept of the wind is wild and it's about to blow us apart. Yeah. And there there is the lyric later in the song where she's talking about cling to me like a leaf mm-hmm. clings to a tree in a hurricane is the way I hear that. Mm. And it's like Nina Simone, like you said, Eli, is a woman of color and... Maybe she is, well, she's also the woman who wrote Mississippi Goddamn. So yeah. it's like, yeah. yeah. So there is, even love has in it the seed of its own destruction. And it's yeah. like, I am overwhelmed by this passion, but maybe this passion is going to destroy me. And it would be perfectly valid to interpret this song as pure exaltation, but it's also perfectly valid to find in its lyrics the seed of destruction that is inherent with any great passion and who better than someone like strange fruits own nina simone to uh, articulate that for us i, I also, kind of feel like we need to now issue a challenge to eli like please please write the da 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 
penny whistle <laughs> version of this and so see really if it's that. possible. I am the wrong person to ask for that. <laughs> um, riffing more off Mark, what Mark was saying, you know, the choosing the wind as this metaphor for your love or your passion. Um, you know, it's true. It's got this wildness that's really exciting. And and Mark, you touched on the sort of also the destructive, you know, angle of it. And I'll just sort of add into that the total unpredictability of it. Yeah. Like the wind is something that comes and goes and blows through you and then is gone. And like, it's not, it's not a stable thing that you can count on. Um, and it's not for us mortals to control, which is... Yeah. 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 A big part of it that you're sort of... Um, at its effect for good or ill and often often that's ill like just the word cling yeah does speak to a certain desperation and dread and so. i think that actually it is very similar to sort of what i was saying about like um finding love from like when you're in a culture that is oppressive to you it's like when you when you're marginalized and oppressed, part of that reality is that you don't actually uh, have control over your own life in certain yes. ways. Yeah. And, so, and and love is a really big part of that. God, and the feeling that, I, you know, this is <laughs> really perhaps an insight into how strange my mind can be sometimes. But I think a lot about if I had been with my now husband in Nazi era Germany. Okay. Yeah. This is so crazy, no, but I have so many, I have had so many scenes play out in my mind where my husband and I were in bed holding each other. And then uh, 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 an officer bursts in and violates our moment of tenderness with a gun and an arrest. And that's not even just Nazi Germany. That's the, that's America until right. the Lawrence versus Texas ruling right. happened. And I, I guess like that's now what we're talking about is making me think about that. Like I have been made cognizant for my entire life that my moments of greatest love, vulnerability, softness, intimacy could actually be taken from me in the moment that they're happening. Like they could someone could burst into my house and take it from me. And yeah. even though I know that's not gonna happen in New York City in two thousand twenty, uh I can't, I have been made aware that it has happened to other people like me many, many, many times and it's happening around the world. And that is now what this interpretation of the song is making me consider. And it really underlines, Eli, how correct you are, I feel, to point out that sense of fleeting tentativeness that we have to have around any type of intimacy as members of marginalized communities. And specifically, I mean, specifically for black people in the United States, I mean, the legacy of slavery, like, was about separating families and separating loved yes. ones and separating parents and children and, like, how that, you know, that trauma affected entire generations of people in this country. And, um, you know, I don't know, I don't know what what she, I wish I knew what Nina Simone would say about that in relation to the song. I don't know if she would would go there, but um, and and the song, you know, like so many others of the time, like she didn't write the lyrics, um, and I, I I couldn't find out a lot about um, about the original. I mean, it was written by a white man. I know that, but uh, lyrically, but um, 
you know, I don't, I like, I always think that that's so um, interesting when I'm listening to songs of this era where mostly the singers didn't write them. Um, right. Because to me, like, I'm listening to this and I just can't imagine that she wasn't the one who wrote these words because she sings it so convincingly. Right. Um, so that's always like an interesting thing to throw in there too. Um, one of the co-writers of this song, Dimitri Tiomkin, Tlomkin, I, I, I can never, actually, there never seems to be any kind of consensus about what the second letter of his last name was. <laughs> yeah. But uh, <laughs> he escaped the Bolshevik re- revolution in mm. Russia. So, interesting. Yeah. I mean, yeah. so that's something else that, like, that's a sort of societal trauma that is carried in the individual body, I would say. Right. Yeah. That it's, you know, it's in the lyrics, but then she she's interpreting it through the one that she's carrying whatever would or ones that she's carrying whatever they may be and then the other guy who wrote it was named ned washington (laughs) and he seemed to have lived a pretty calm life in he was from scranton oh (laughs) but but then the other thing that he one of the other songs that he wrote (laughs) exactly (laughs) but he also um he wrote when you wish upon a star. So Wow. Not bad, dude. From yeah, well done, Ned. Yeah. Just for that like little shot of treacle that keeps you from wanting to curl up in a ball and wait for death. There here's old Ned. <laughs> Scranton's own Ned Washington. Here's old Ned. Good old Ned. It's it's really getting too downbeat in here. So we go down the hall and get Ned. Who I mean for all we know, like Maybe lived a really traumatic life, but then also he was Ned from Scranton. Yeah. So, <laughs> I mean, he was okay. named Ned. That can have been easy. <laughs> Not his fault. Yeah, lived with that. Yeah, <laughs> for his whole life. Um. So one other thing I wanted to bring up. This is slightly, not slightly. It's a complete sidebar. But I've been thinking about it a lot. So, as you know, I've been. I was taken by the amount of space in the song, and it put me in mind for who knows why, of the song Royals by Lord. Not the same song in any way, in a lot of ways, but Lord sings in a very low register for a woman, and Royals is a song that doesn't have a lot of musical busyness in it. And uh, I don't think that these two songs are the same, but I just was thinking like, oh, that's interesting. There's another woman who sings really low, who knows the power of keeping a song sparse. So I don't know that there's anything to say about that, but I wanted to bring it up. I think that's a good comparison. Uh, I think there's not necessarily as much room in uh, pop music as there used to be for room. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Like there has to be something happening or like, look how well I play guitar. Like, okay, there's a place for that. I'm into it. I know who Van Halen is, but (laughs) this is... um, this is really an interesting and it's also interesting because it's from it's from an era where you wouldn't think there was um you'd think they would have been a little more um interested in like a uniformity of like phrasing and and tempo i don't i don't know if i'm making any sense but it it just seemed like well you know this is the same time that bill haley was a big deal so mm-hmm. it's interesting that uh the the other creators sort of allowed this much 
um, space and just active thoughtfulness to be happening in the in the phrasing and or maybe they didn't maybe that's why the piano is there i mean i will say like as a musician i like it is it it takes a lot of restraint to like know when not to play yeah (laughs) Yeah. not to sing and that is like you know if you hear someone if you hear musicians talking about like a musician's musician it'll be like oh yeah that person knows like exactly when not to play like that person (laughs) doesn't busy it up like um I remember hearing like stories about Lou Reed just being an absolute tyrant with his bass players because he would be like, I literally just told you to play on the ones. Why can't you do that? Like stop playing. Um, And so I, you know, I think exercising this amount of restraint is truly like an incredible, like um, an incredible show of craftsmanship, uh, you know, in, in how they constructed the song um, and is, is extremely (laughs) impressive to me. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Well, I feel like that is a pretty good place to say, Eli, thank you so much for joining us again. Yeah. We hope you won't wait too long before coming back (laughs) to discuss things like the whispering wind. They call the wind Mariah. All the wind songs. Blowing in the wind. I mean, that Mm -hmm. one's one's got to happen. And we've never talked about Bob Dylan. You don't want to hear me talk about Bob Dylan. You don't want to hear me talk about Bob Dylan. Mm. Wait, now I think all I want is to hear both (laughs) of you talk about Bob Dylan. All right, cool. Talk to you next week. A 45-minute, like, scathing, withering, tongue-lashing. Oh, my God. (laughs) This is happening, though, seriously. (laughs) I am so in for this. I'm here for that at any time. Okay. Now that 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 specter has been brought up, I have to chase it until we can experience it in all of its glory. (laughs) Oh, my God. Well, again, blowing in the wind, and they call the wind Mariah. Double feature coming soon. Um, <laughs> again, uh, you can hear Eli's uh, project Low Tide. Go to Bandcamp uh, to find Low Tide and enjoy their record. And we, again, are so pleased to have you back. We, uh, you're in a, a, a rarefied group of repeat guests. Oh, uh, I'm so honored, and I'm so grateful that you were willing to go down this despair hole with me. <laughs> <laughs> no, I actually love that you brought up this song because it's so nice to go really far back sometimes. Mm-hmm. And to, to talk about these artists who continue to be in the groundwater of everything that we listen to now uh, and deserve to be framed and highlighted and recognized, uh, in, even as we uh, listen to their contemporary descendants. Yeah, yeah. God, she's just a giant. It's also nice to have an actual someone who creates music to, I don't know. <laughs> give um like sign off on our <laughs> windy a, bs about the build. i am continually impressed by the level of your m- musical theoretical analysis i have to say oh well thank you oh, because thank you. Sometimes, sometimes don't we'll encourage us break. seriously <laughs> <laughs> we're like well penny whistle Oh, oh, love God. it. I feel like I'm going to issue myself a personal challenge to try to make that song happy, even though I sort of disagree with the intent. <laughs> I mean, I think just, uh, may I suggest a like, polka beat? <laughs> you definitely. I, here's <laughs> what I will say. Even even if it's just 30 seconds. Needs more squeeze box. Like a, try it and again. And a kazoo. 
Kazoo, like a, a triangle. Kazoo! Yes. So mandolin, I feel like, come on. Mm-hmm. I mean, Absolutely. it's right there. Right there in the lyrics. Well, if you do end up uh, following through on this personal challenge, we would be happy to play the results. Um, <laughs> okay. Oh God, absolutely. And we'll put them on that on that long, aborting uh, covers album that we're going to have of the, from this show, where Alison Krauss does like fifteen covers, and then we'll end <laughs> your upbeat version of "Wild Is the Wind." Yes, <laughs> love it, love it, love it. <laughs> It's not for me to say you love me. Y'all, Mark and Sarah Talk About Songs is hosted by Mark Blankenship, a.k.a. me, and Sarah D. Bunting. And it's edited by Sarah D. Bunting as well. Do you want to talk to Mark and Sarah about song requests, ads, or birthday readings? Email us at talkaboutsongs at gmail.com. Tweet us at TalkSongs or find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash mastus.podcast. To become a supporter and producer of this podcast, visit our Patreon page at patreon.com slash mastus where you can get access to all kinds of cool bonus content and vote in our ranking episodes. Thanks for listening. As far as I can see, this is Speaking just for me, it's ours to share. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.